0: So welcome to The Fumble. And last week we became a three, and this week we're back down to a two, because (laughs) the big man Vernon Kay can't join us. So it's me, Darren Fletcher, and Menelik Watson for this one. Menelik, it's a good job there are three of us now, otherwise we are completely snookered this week.
1: (laughs) You know, exactly, yeah. Got to get Vernon, got to find him for this one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) One thing I don't think we're going to be doing a great deal of in this podcast is, is laughing and being kind of jovial because there are so many serious things to talk about. It's been a really strange week in the yeah. NFL. It's been a, a very sad week in the NFL. And there is only one place that we can start this week. And that is with the the situation involving the, the Las Vegas Raiders wide receiver, Henry Ruggs. Now, if people aren't completely aware of, of what's happened this past few days, in the early hours of the morning, uh, Henry Ruggs, who was the 12th pick in the NFL draft last year out of Alabama, a young man who's 22 years of age, was driving his car in Las Vegas around 3.40 in the morning off the back of the Raiders' bye week. He was driving a, a Chevrolet Corvette, and it's been reported that he was driving the car at 156 miles per hour. And it's also been reported that Henry Ruggs was twice over the legal limit to to drive for alcohol. He collided with a RAV4 vehicle being driven by a 23-year-old lady called Tina Tinter. And the the car burst into flames and she tragically died, along with a pet dog who was in the car at the same time as well. Um, Reports in the U.S., now state Henry Ruggs is clearly um, been put in jail he's got a a trial to stand it's been reported in the U.S. that he could face up to 20 years in prison for what's happened I mean first and foremost we would say on the fumble that our thoughts are completely with (laughs) Tina Tintin's family her friends and anybody associated with her but it does kind of open up like a wider picture and I kind of looked at this from a Premier League footballers perspective compared to a U.S athletes perspective and in my limited time of watching sport in the us these kinds of situations while they're not common they're not completely uncommon and we have another tragedy here with drink involved a high-speed vehicle clear irresponsibility that's led to fatal uh, circumstances here yeah i kind of want to hear this from a an nfl player's perspective as to why situations like this are so much more common in the US than they would be in the United Kingdom and just to try and get your take on on what you make of this being close to the Raider organization knowing the way that the NFL players operate etc
1: yeah I mean like you said uh, first and foremost to everyone involved I know you know situations like this are just they're kind of out of the blue, but like you said, they're not infrequent and they're not frequent. They just always seem to arise and it seems like we don't learn from previous situations. I was actually in Los Angeles with one of my old teammates, Donald Penn, when, when it all broke out, you know, and, and we were in shock. I mean, for about an hour. I mean, we just constantly kept talking about it. Um, he knows of a situation back when he was in the league of a guy, you know, who who did had the same similar situation. And was like, you know, he's still paying money off to the family, you know, over that incident. I mean, these things uh, impact people forever, right? You'll never get over this, just death in general. But for such a young man with so much promise and so much future to kind of have this moment thrown away. And not only that, he lost a mate back in 2016 to uh, a, a car crash. Um, 2016, when he was in high school, one of his uh, high school teammates a basketball player was they were on their way to a, a game in Alabama and Henry Ruggs was actually supposed to be in the car and he fell sick and didn't travel and his friend Roderick Scott uh, ended up getting ejected from the car on the 65 and, and took his life. So for me, I think that was probably the most frustrating part about it all is the fact that someone so close to him, he's been affected by car incidents before. I'm going to put my hands up. I, I had a situation... When I played for the Raiders one year, and um, went out uh, after a game, we had a bye week as well, or a couple of days off, and went out. One of my teammates, one of my old friends, Lorenzo Browns, played for the Timberwolves at the time, and we go out, and um, we go to uh, we go out to dinner, uh, have a couple of drinks or whatever, and you know, after at the end of the night, uh, you know, I'm sitting looking at my truck, I'm downtown uh, uh, um, San Francisco. And in my mind, I know the team's going to be gone in the morning. It's my day off the next day. Do I really want to get up and Uber back and come get my truck? And foolishly, I drove. And I knew I was over the legal limit. And it was probably one of the stupidest things I've ever did in my life. I prayed about seven times on that drive home. I drove slow and I got home and I never did it again. And another situation arose when I signed with Denver. I actually went out on a night out and I learned. And I called an Uber and I left my car downtown and I just didn't care. I just didn't want to put myself in a situation where I've already asked for a level of forgiveness and compet- competency within myself to not put myself in that situation again. And for him, that's been the most disappointing thing. It's one thing to, to drink and be reckless, but now that you've cost someone else their life, you know, because of your negligence, it's tough. And he's been uh, released on, on bail. Um, they've confiscated his passport and he's not allowed to drive but I, I just kept thinking to myself I couldn't imagine waking up the next morning wishing, you know, sometimes you do things you have moments in your life and you wish there was a rewind button and there's no rewind button and sometimes the, the minor mistakes you make are as detrimental so do we even really learn from it if it isn't as detrimental or do we learn when it's too late and this seems like one of those situations Yeah, this is, this
0: is this is such a, a tragic situation because a 23 year old woman has lost her life through no fault of her own for the irresponsibility of, of another individual who happens to be um, a former NFL player because I mean this right. is this is much bigger situation now that, that whether he plays for the Raiders or whether he went yeah. to Alabama this is, this is Fo- yeah. Fo-
1: football football's the last many thing games. football is the last thing on on I mean you know we like it's interesting because of his talent we, we we wonder and in 10 years right whether you know he does do 20 years he does 10 years whatever the case may be he's never stepping on a football field again especially in the nfl right so well there's always that we wonder what he could have been if we never had this situation a kid who was coming into his own stride in the league coming into his second year things are starting to slow down for him i mean it's just tragic it's just tragic could have been easily avoided as well that's the sad thing about Mm it.
0: It is tragic, but it pales into insignificance by comparison to, to, to the loss that's been suffered by others in this. It kind of exactly. gets me thinking that why would an NFL player be out at, feel the need to be out at 3.40 in the morning, driving a Corvette twice over the limit at a ridiculous speed, 156 miles Thank per you. hour? I can't even comprehend that a road car would be able to go that fast but it did these are facts this is this is not being made up this has all been reported and released by the authorities in las yeah. vegas do nfl players or do some nfl players and i shouldn't include everybody in this yes. but are there a number of players in the league who just feel that they're bulletproof they can do what they like there's always going to be someone to pick them up and dust them down and wish them on their way because I, I, I find this hard to comprehend that an individual would, would follow this through. It's not one thing. It's not two things. This is a whole host of situations that should have been red flagged in his own mind before it ever right. got to the situation that it did.
1: Yeah, exactly. Again, I think that's a great point. And I always say this, this. I think we have to kind of start looking at athletes different, I think. I think we kind of put athletes on a pedestal because... We really appreciate what they're able to do within their sport or their field. And for that, we kind of watch them, we glorify them, we kind of held them up. And, and I've noticed a lot more so in America because, you know, from when he was in high school and he was one of the top players in high school, everyone was telling him how great he was, right? Then you go to college and you, you dominate in college, everyone will tell you how great you are. Then you get to the other time. So throughout this time, I know plenty of guys who have made done things that should have landed him in jail, right? Could have easily landed him in jail, could have easily derailed the career before he even started, right? And it's the same old tale of you hear the stories all the time. I remember being at the symposium as a rookie and they would have a bunch of guys come in and talk to us about the initiation into the NFL and what to to do, what not to do, how to avoid this, avoid that. And guys will still make the same mistakes. I mean, I will watch guys not even taking notes, guys not paying attention, because they'll do what they, because in their own world, they're living in their own reality. So the most frustrating part of this, which kind of angers me with the Henry Rugg situation, is that you lost your best friend to a car incident. You are going 156 miles per hour, three in the morning. And someone always told me, nothing good ever happens after 12. If you're out after 12, expect something to go wrong, right? And, like, you talk, you, you've been drinking, you've got your girl in the car, you're going 150, like, where are you going, right? And it's it's just one of them situations where I think t- this week, a lot of the NFL players, not even just NFL players, athletes all over the world who are hearing this story are thinking, you know, we've got to make smart decisions, right? We can't blow these opportunities. We get given by something that's easily controllable, right? Call an Uber, call someone to come pick you up. You can call the Raiders and they'll come and organise a car to come pick you up, right?
0: But That's the point. The the, the teams invariably would solve the problem for you by simply making a call. And we're not talking about a young player here who isn't ridiculously wealthy either. He's the 12th overall pick in the draft. He's been given a wonderful contract. Never has to think about money again, really. Why on earth would you not employ someone to drive you? I mean, the Premier League footballer, and this was kind of the analogy that I made earlier, you would never hear this with a Premier League player. I know lots of them, and I know the people that are employed as their drivers. You know, we at BT Sport would sometimes use the same companies, and the driver would say, oh, I was driving X, Y, and Z last Saturday because they wanted to go out, so they they hire a car company to take them for the night, and when they're ready to go home, they, they get brought home. And I, I, I can't quite comprehend why you wouldn't just automatically make that rational decision before you've had the drink. I get that when you've had the drink, your brain's right. shambled and you don't put two and two together and come up with four. That's why we get a tragedy like this. Yeah. So when you are of sound mind and sober, why are these decisions not made beforehand? That, that's what baffles me.
1: And you know you know what is it, it, also alarming from my standpoint is, like I said, we do kind of view athletes in a certain light, but just like someone who isn't an athlete who goes out on a night out and doesn't think, "Oh, let me call a taxi, let me call an Uber, I'm just going to drive home," it gets kind of um, it gets kind of magnified when it's an athlete, a kid who's making millions of dollars, right, and has, like you said, access to all types of resources—the NFL, your team, right, your your friends. Kind of like your little team of people around you, your girlfriend, your brother's family, right? And they, but they don't think, they kind of are in their own present world. So in his mind, maybe he didn't want to leave his carpet out, but that's the that's where like we have to. Why do we always have to lose somebody or have something so dramatic where lives are getting torn apart before we can learn, right? Why is it that we have to our kids have to put their hands on a hot stove to learn? not to touch the hot stove, even though they've been told. I'm sure Henry Ruggs has heard many of stories, apart from his own experience, of people drink driving, right? And in his world, you think, oh, it's not going to happen to me, right? Oh, I'm a great driver. And and you can't take that risk. And I feel like, number one, Vegas has to take a stand, the state of Vegas, because that was one of the concerns of bringing a team to Vegas, right? All the enticements of the Strip. And guys going out there, maybe getting impaired and, and things like that. Uh, they're only in the second year of being in Vegas. So I feel like they're going to have to really set precedent with it. And as tough as it sounds, and I don't want to mark anybody, anybody's life and, and kind of wish jail on anybody, but he's going to have to sit through this. And he is going to be the poster boy now for these scenarios. And like you said, it's an easy fix. Call an Uber, arrange a cab right? And I think there's another thing in America too, where America is just so big, right? It's like, everyone's used to driving, like, when I'm home, when I come back to England, I'm walking places. I mean, I'm even caught on the bus sometimes, like, yeah. it's very accessible, right? I can walk from my house, Longside, to, to Town Centre, if I couldn't afford a taxi or a bus fare. It's not an egregious walk. In America, I think everyone's so conditioned to drive everywhere because it's so vast. And then, Like you said, you're kind of like, you're moving through life. All these things have happened. You've escaped certain situations, probably even worse situations. I mean, the kid had a gun in his car. I'm thinking, you know, I'm like, what is he? Like, you play football. Why do you have a gun, right? Like, why are you attracting that type of energy to just be like, oh, I feel like I need this for protection. If you feel like you need it to to be for protection, keep your ass inside. Do you know what I mean? Keep your eyes inside and focus on the main thing. Get football, make football the main thing. But they want to kind of act like there, there won't be vast consequences to anything you do. And what happens in the dark comes to light. I'm sure it's not the first time he's drove drunk. And he this he probably wasn't as drunk as he's probably driven before. I just couldn't imagine going 100 of, I've never been 150 miles per hour. Do you know what I mean? At three in the morning, on a night out, in the back streets, I mean, it's just asinine, and, and, I'm, and I'm sure he's kicking himself, but it's too late, and, and that's the sad story about it. It's, it's just too late. So, hopefully, this can be a lesson to the younger guys. But then again, can we honestly sit here today, Darren, and say there'll never be another incident like this again?
0: We, we could, we could hope that's the case, but I mean, it's 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 very very unlikely that. that this would be a catalyst for this to stop completely. What I didn't know this week, and people who listen to the football might not know this as well, I just happened to hear it said on um, a a radio show that I I was listening to in the US, that he's around people at the facility in Las Vegas Daily who deal constantly with issues of alcoholism on his own roster. Darren Waller and Max Crosby are both alcoholics yep. and both of them work with the Raiders with counsellors and together to keep that problem at bay so that they mm-hmm. can play in the NFL so yep. someone like Henry who's a young player you would look at Darren Waller as being a team leader an all pro tight end a high profile player in the National Football mm-hmm. League he sees on a daily basis the constant battle that those two individuals Darren Waller and Max Crosby, go through with Alcohol. You made the point that he's seen his his best friend die in similar circumstances than the, the the lady's life that he took earlier this week. These messages just don't seem to ever get into this young man's head, do they? No,
1: nope. uh, and, and like I said, uh, he's living his best existence, right? Uh, in his in his world, right? He's sharing a locker room with two men who have been through incredible circumstances, right, and have overcome them. And Like like I just said. They should be an
0: inspiration, shouldn't they? He should look to to those two people and see what they've been able to achieve with a serious problem to overcome. It's highly unlikely that if you are in your early 20s and a self-confessed alcoholic, that you're going to be an athlete at the level that Darren Waller and Max Crosby have been able to do. The mountain they climbed to be able to be where they are now is huge. And it's taken a a lot of resolve, a lot of determination, a lot of help. A lot of things have gone yeah. into play for this to happen. So he would have seen that and he would have been around those individuals. And they also would have been there
1: yeah.
0: and he wanted to reach out to them. And that maybe is more powerful than saying, well, the National Football League should change how the Rookie Symposium is or his family yeah. might... These are his peers. These are senior people within his own locker room who he could have gone to and spoken to and could have been inspired by those individuals. And I, I feel it, you kind of look at situations sometimes and think there are so many, so many forks in the road that he could have taken in a positive sense and still he couldn't find the right one to do it.
1: Yeah, and to, to reiterate on your point, it's like having these guys in the locker room, do you have, then we're going to talk about ego, right? Because everyone, most people, most guys drink, right? Most guys have a drink. Most guys, uh, uh, you know, they go home. Some of the guys smoke weed or whatever it is, right? But do you have the, 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 the self-awareness to say, you know what? I might have a little bit of a problem. Let me go and lean on Darren Waller. Let me pick his brain a little bit. Oh, would you look at it from a standpoint of, oh, I'm, I, oh, I'm, I've got control of, of my drinking. I've got control. Oh, I'm not, I'm not as bad as that, right? And, It's not the extreme of putting yourself in their shoes. It's understanding that mistakes can be made through this fluid. So it's controlled my life and I'm trying to control it. So as a kid like Ruggs, like I said, I'm sure it's not the first time he's drove impaired. It's just the first time he's been caught. Mm. And the fact that he's been caught and he's taken a life because if that if Henry Brooks would have crashed into the wall at 150 miles per hour, survived, right, and they said, "Oh, his blood level alcohol was too high," he would have that now that recourse to say, "Okay, there's kind of coming back from this. right? first of all, my injury is good enough for me to get back on the football field and play at a high level." Then I think you would see him lean on those guys because it's almost cost him his life. There is no return for him now. He can't. Get that back. So while he was sitting in that locker room, I'm sure Max Crosby and Darren Waller have addressed the team about their issues that they've gone public with. And I'm sure he was sitting there and was like, that's never going to be me. But now that he's that to a whole nother degree because that selfish act has now taken somebody's life. And whereas he could have sat back and really took that as a message of, uh, let, if I'm going to drink, let me control this drink. Let me drink in moderately If I'm going to drink, let me not drive. But there's so many different nuances to the problem that is alcoholism. Um, we can lean on alcohol, we can lean on a couple of things, but I just strongly believe that Henry Ruggs was just living his, living his own reality and in his world he felt like something like that would never happen to him. And when you always think like that, that's when it hits you when you least expect it. And like I said, I couldn't imagine waking up the next day not only like okay, I was in a crash. All right, this is gonna be bad. Everyone's gonna find out I was in a crash. But you took somebody's life, man. You took somebody's life, and there's no, there's no, there's no amount of money. There's no amount of sentence. There's nothing that can bring that person back. You're gonna come out of jail one day and maybe do talks to kids about drinking, but there'll be another kid sitting in there not paying attention, and they'll just kind of pawn you off. And then maybe five years later, you know, I, I was telling someone the other day, I said you know someone might drink and drive 45 times but it's 49 that's gonna get you right you'll get pulled over and we've got to start learning from hearing these experiences it's not good enough to say oh wow I wish I'm glad I, it wasn't me or it's like okay everyone needs to take a stand and say you know what I need to be responsible I need to make sure that even if I even if I'm not as drunk as I've been before I've been way drunker than this it's like you got to think about everybody else. It's not just about you because once you leave your house, it's about everyone else on the road. Now it's about everyone else outside of your little area that you control, and that's just the kind of unfortunate thing about it. All is that's what's kind of like it's made my my stomach turn about the whole situation. I mean, you lost a mate to, to to reckless driving. Do you know what I mean? And it's like you haven't learned, so you haven't learned. So if the if they if the judge gives you a slap on the wrist. Are you going to learn from that? Maybe. Maybe th- maybe when you're 45 and football's way past you, maybe you're still having a drinking issue. And then at 45 now, no one cares of Henry Ruggs anymore. You do it then. So I I, I, don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's horrible, man. It's been a it's been horrible. horrible scenario in general.
0: It has. I mean, I, I appreciate you, you, you giving us the insight and we would just reiterate again that our, our thoughts and our prayers are with... Uh, the family and friends of Tina Tinter, the 23-year-old lady who through no fault of her own tragically lost her life in this awful, awful situation involving the former Las Vegas Raiders wide receiver Henry Ruggs. Um, Something else that we need to talk about which is um, nowhere near the severity that, that we've just talked about, but again it's something that People are finding it difficult to kind of comprehend and deal with in the, in in the NFL this week. And it's the situation with Aaron Rodgers um, quarterback of the Green Bay Packers who will be um, one of the teams that we're featuring on five live sports extra on Sunday Uh, should have been Aaron Rodgers against Patrick Mahomes, but it's going to be Jordan Love against Patrick Mahomes because Rodgers is ruled out. Now he told everybody that he, that he was immunized. Didn't tell people he was vaccinated. He told people he was immunized that, now, any person with a command of the English language would presume if you said you were immunised, you actually mean that you're vaccinated, right? <laughs> I'm vaccinated, and if somebody said to me, are you immunised, I would say yes. Are you vaccinated? Yes. Right. Same thing, pretty much. Right? <laughs> but he transpires that he isn't. Right. Right, so that's kind of bad enough, because if you're going to be a stand-up guy in the locker room,
1: Right.
0: At least just tell everybody you're not vaccinated. Don't lie and tell them that you are when actually you're not. So that kind of tells you a little bit about the personality.
1: But right. the bigger
0: picture situation here is that there are serious protocols in place around NFL players who are vaccinated and NFL players who aren't vaccinated. Right. And I'm right. talking about if you are not vaccinated, you've got to wear a mask at all times unless you're eating within the facility because you are seen as a big risk to spread COVID-19 around that facility. Now, he's been going into press conferences without masks every week. And there are players, uh, there are people in there of varying ages, varying health status. And they've gone into that room believing that Aaron Rodgers is vaccinated. And he isn't. Now, the Green Bay Packers, you would presume, would have been aware of this because they know everything about you guys medically. It's part of the job. When you right. sign that check, you open up your body and you say, okay, you own this now until this, this, this runs out. So they wouldn't right. do that, I presume. He was um, not truthful in terms of his status, and he's then potentially put other people at risk around that Green Bay Packer facility, whether they be people from outside or people from within. So the NFL have got to decide now what they do with Green Bay, with Aaron Rodgers, what the penalties are going to be. I don't right. think it's going to be a slap on the wrist. But this is more serious, I think, than, than people actually realise, and it's got quite big implications over there at the moment.
1: Number one, I think being it being Aaron Rodgers, who's kind of one of the staples of the league right now, and two, I just think, in general, the way the, the United States is kind of handle it, separate state to state, city to city kind of thing. As far as the him him saying he's immunised, <laughs> I never heard that one. that's the first time someone used immunised to kind of explain their status i guess however i here's how i stand i think aaron rogers as a leader the fact that he used the word immunized to kind of explain his status is a bit child char- is very childish in a time where we really need to make grown, de- grown decisions have grown conversations about what's going on in the world right now so i found that really 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 strange that he used that type of language to explain his status. As far as the NFL kind of getting on them, I think here's what people need to understand about NFL franchises. It does seem like they are on point. Like you probably would think that they would know everything about Aaron Rodgers and what he's kind of his, 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 his immunizations, his, um, his, his his shots, and his health history. But a lot of them don't. I'm sure if Aaron Rodgers, they should, shouldn't
0: point, they? They, they? You know, if you the only
1: reason I say this is because if you think about Cam Newton, yeah.
0: Cam was quite open in the fact that he wasn't vaccinated. Yeah. So the, the New England Patriots made the decision that they didn't want him as the quarterback because of the problems that could potentially bring. Now, that might have been a case of, we don't want you anyway, so we're going to use that as yeah, an example. Yeah, yeah. I kind
1: of yeah. really get that. But, yeah.
0: but, what I, but they, did, you know, they did know his status. I, I find it odd that if you've got yeah. a, a 53-man locker room and right. there are protocols in place, I would think it's right. a franchise... You should have an obligation to know what everyone's medical history is with that. You know, I travel travel around Europe doing the the Champions League. Whatever country I go to, I have to provide the necessary documentation to prove my vaccination status. If I don't, I can't enter the country. You would think if you've got 32 NFL franchises and those franchises are moving all the way around the US and they want to keep this virus under control, you would think there should be an obligation that each NFL franchise has full disclosure of who's vaccinated and who isn't within their building. Otherwise you can't police it, and manage it in any way, shape or form.
1: Yeah, uh, you you would think so. But then again, I mean, after playing and being around NFL franchises for six, seven years, I mean, uh, uh, I, I see sometimes a lack of attention to detail that goes on within a billion dollar organisation. Like I said, I'm sure with it being Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers walks in and says, hey, what's your status? He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm immunised. And they'll say, okay. I'm sure they don't say, well, what does that mean? Do we, we need to know if you've had the shots or not. Could you provide us with your proof of vaccinations about... They just want to play football and win games. That's all they want to do, right? And so, especially out here in America, it's very 50-50. Some people... Uh, care about the vaccine and stuff. Some people don't. So within a building, you also have those type of um, com- conflicts, or if you want to call them conflicts. But So there's some people who take it as serious as, I need to know every single detail, where have you been, where have you been, because I'm not trying to get any contact with this uh, virus. And there's some people who just kind of like, oh, it is what it is. If I get it, I get it. And I- I hopefully I'll be fine, right? And so... Then again, that goes back to that uniformity. It's telling the tale of what's actually going on in America right now. In America right now, there is no uniformity. So we're sitting here looking at her Aaron Rogers and I'm like, well, I mean, that doesn't make any sense. The fact that they didn't, they don't have a full, uh, the full details of who's who's been vaccinated, when they got vaccinated, right, and 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 then the, the guys who don't, and kind of having a strong plan of okay, let's limit this as much as possible. I'm looking at it, you know what? I don't think Aaron Rodgers is is really tripping too much. They're 7-1. They're They've got a good lead, right? Um, I think it would be great for this kid Jordan would love to get in and get some playing time. But I've always said it's been a very uh, very precarious situation with the NFL that they're not as detailed as people think they should be, or I believe they should be. On, on him,
0: then, as an individual, I mean, I, I, I've been watching the NFL since, I would say, the 85 season when the Bears won the Super Bowl. I would say in all of that time, unbelievable athletes aside, and there are some amazing athletes at the quarterback position now who can do things that we never expected quarterbacks to be able to do. Right. I would say looking at him, in my view, and, it, and it's only kind of a, a fan's eye view, he looks like the most naturally talented quarterback that I've seen during that time. Yeah. And then look at the fact that he's been on some pretty good Green Bay Packer teams and he's only won one Super Bowl. Yeah. And There's a lot of discussions about him as an individual, his personality, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think that his personality negatively impacts his talent and ultimately then costs that team the ability to win more championships?
1: No, I don't think so. I actually had the pleasure of training with Aaron Rodgers in in Los Angeles a couple of years ago at ProActive, and he's a great guy. He's just why do people say why, the, why do people say it then? Because I, I'll
0: back you up on that. We did a documentary on the Green Bay Packers, Simon right. and I, and we spent a week in Green Bay, and we were given some time with Aaron, and he was as open as any player in the locker room. He came over to us after the game on the Sunday. After they played Detroit, just to check we'd got enough and we needed anything else before we left, he chatted about you know being a fan of Manchester City and wanted to hey. come and play a game in England and, and all this kind of thing. He, I, I found him great. I didn't yeah. have a problem with him at all. Yeah. But the general narrative in the US is that his personality provides problems for whatever reason. What? What? Why? why? You, got,
1: you got. You got to be careful with narratives that you hear because a lot of the times. And it's, and it's really weird. And I didn't actually learn this until I was in Denver. There are media player relationships. I'm talking about media members who have personal phone numbers of players will speak to them. They'll know each other's families and things. Like that. And these are things I didn't know. I went through four years in Oakland and I probably spoke to the media a few times because I, I wasn't the type of guy who wanted to talk a lot before the game. I took my combat very, very seriously. So I didn't want to talk about what they do, what we plan to do, what I see in the defensive end. I didn't want to give him anything because I knew I had this war and I didn't I wanted him to know as little as possible about me. All he knows is I'm English and I'm big and I'm strong. And they gotta figure out how to get around me. So I didn't learn that, like I said, and one of my teammates here with the Broncos was actually having a back and forth with a media member who would he wouldn't give him an inside scoop on something. So when you, everyone I know has played with Aaron Rodgers, apart from, I think it was Zach Jennings, who a couple of weeks ago, at the beginning of the season was uh, writing Aaron Rodgers off, right? And it, it's because you had a riff with him in, 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 in Green Bay. So, But the guys love him. I've met him. I love Aaron Rodgers. His disposition is very relaxed. He's very laid back. He's very open. He's very truthful. And like you said, he's an incredible talent and he knows who he is. So, therefore, when he's ready to give people snippets, he'll give them. When he's not, he's not. And he keeps the main thing, the main finger. Week one, one of his biggest things was, hey, it's only week one. And everyone was ready to write him off. Everyone said he was finished. Oh, he looks tired. Oh, the off-season stuff got to him. And it's like, we sit here and speculate because we, because we might see Aaron Rodgers for, two, for an hour or two hours on, on a game. And then that's all we see. So we judge everything we see based on how he looks, you know, his hair's long, his beard's gray, and he's side scraggly. And, and it's like, but you're you're doing him a disservice by kind of breaking him down to a T to kind of say, hey, you've only won one championship. Now, that is part of the reason why I believe Aaron Rodgers has wanted to leave Green Bay, because they've not done a good enough job, in my standpoint, bringing in Enough. And you say, okay, a guy like Aaron Rodgers doesn't need as much as, say, uh, a Brady. You know, we've seen Brady for years in in, in, in in New England with a severe lack of talent, still winning 12 games a year, right? But I always felt like the, down, the Achilles heel of Green Bay was their defense. And it's been that for a while. And then what we do is Aaron Rodgers will carry the team all year, the playoffs come up, the defense shows up, but Aaron Rodgers don't show up, right? So then we say, oh, well, it's Aaron Rodgers, he can't win, and does done. And it's like, there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of balance that goes into a team and you've got to have balance. I find that if one side of the ball is more dominant than the other, you'll see it. For years, we talk, look at um, the, the, the Baltimore Ravens. For years, I mean, you talking about Hall of Famers on all three levels on their defense. And you think about it, and say, well, they only, they want two, they want two Super Bowls, one way at the beginning and one right at the end. But for the middle, for those, what, 12 years, 13 years that they were dominating, they fell short. And I used to say, being on a team like when I was at Florida State, we had our first, second, and third string guys all went to the NFL for my defense. So practice for us was yeah. like a game. Everyone said, oh, who's the hardest guy you went to in college? Uh, beyond Warner every day in practice, right? Uh, Brandon Jenkins, you know, uh, tank, tank Carradine, because that competition, but we knew as an offense, we have to push back and not allow them to have their way with us every day if we were going to be some type of offense to be reckoned with. Otherwise, they would have did what they did the years before, where the offense was in spurts, right? So in the NFL, you need that balance. You can't just have one side of the ball super dominant. And we're seeing that with Kansas City right now put all the money in the offense, rightly so, but the defense is struggling. So now the defense is having to find the of fortitude to try and keep up with the offense. But now the offense is, is struggling, and everyone's oh, is it over for Mahomes? He's got all these turnovers. It's like, you got to understand, this man has been used to playing, having to get big leads because his defense can't really keep up. So now it's kind of flipped, and we're all ready to write Mahomes off. And that's I think that's a similar situation with Green Bay. Right, I think that's where we kind of have to kind of be kind of honest with our with our um, assessments of some of these guys. I mean, some of these great guys. I mean, like we said, you, you can deny Aaron Rodgers and what he's done in the league. I think if he never won a Super Bowl, I think it would probably be one of the greatest what ifs and and, and kind of like, oh, this guy was incredible, but he never won one. He does have one. I think they got a great chance to to do it again this year, but it's that consistency. Is that. Are they going to burn out? Is the team going to mesh to the point where they're both playing complementary football at the right time? I find it bizarre that he's got one Super Bowl and
0: Eli Manning has two, but that's just an entirely different conversation. (laughs) Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. The Philadelphia Eagles got forty odd points at the weekend. That's the first time they've scored at least forty since Super Bowl Fifty Two against the New England Patriots. That's quite a long time. That's quite a long time. I'm going to give you some records, Menelik. Tom Brady three and four, Eli Manning one and five, Aaron Rodgers two and three, Ben Roethlisberger zero and three, Philip Rivers zero and two. They are what, my friend.
1: We're talking about what what their what their numbers are represented what, what,
0: what, what does what, what is that win loss? What what are those win loss records? Is that they have one thing in common, for those five quarterbacks: Brady, Eli, Rogers, Ben, Rivers. They are their ooh, record includes playoffs against Sean Payton of the New Orleans Saints. Oh wow! Brady three and four, Eli one and five, Rogers two and three. Ben Owen three, Rivers Owen two. Wow. Okay, Sean Payton, regular season and playoffs, based on the fact that Brady wow. was beaten at the weekend. That is a hell of a resume for the head
1: coach of the New Orleans Saints. Mate, that's a great resume. I mean, you're talking about all, all names, guys in the Hall of Fame. and yeah. he did it from the sideline. <laughs>
0: yeah, mad, absolutely bad. Right. Mad. right, right. These Cleveland, right, couple on Cleveland, it'll, it'll lead us nicely into Odell Beckham. So the Browns, this. Uh, Over the last uh, two seasons, so 24 games, they've scored 591 points and they've given up 599. So they're minus eight in terms of points, which kind of tells us that we've all overvalued the, the Browns going into this year. People were talking about them being a potential Super Bowl team. That clearly doesn't stack up. Odell Beckham was released this week. 128 players have had a 100-yard receiving game in the NFL since Odell Beckham Jr.'s last one in week wow. six of 2019. Wow. Now, has Odell Beckham Jr. been released by the Cleveland Browns this week because of him
1: or because of them, do you think? I think it's a bit of both. Right. Uh, the Browns, just I think, I think rightly so. I think they were a team to be feared in the offseason, picking up Jadavion Clowney. Now you've got two monsters on the edges, right? You've got the big boy, my boy Malik Jackson in the middle, wrecking stuff, right? Um, offensively, I always felt like they had too many weapons. And too many weapons for Tom Brady is a great thing, right? Could you imagine Aaron Rodgers with all these weapons, right? Njoku, um, Odell, Jarvis Landry, Higgins, right? And it's like, and that offensive line. And right? two running backs. And two. Oh, three now three let's now. not even talk let's not even talk three about now. the running backs we're just talking about this is seven on seven we're not going to get into the run game because we know what what Chubb is Chubb is an absolute monster and I've always been big on Kareem run. Um crazy what he went through a couple of years ago glad to see he bounced back um, and made the main thing the main thing and concentrate on the football and not get into any stuff off the field but I I've can't I've, I've I was big on Baker Mayfield when everyone was shitting on him. I thought he was a great addition. I thought he was going to bring life, a different element than Johnny Manziel, right? Because we all kind of had them comparisons, right? I thought Odell Beckham and him would be great with with Odell kind of being used to the limelight, being used to people calling his name. Baker Mayfield kind of, you know, commercials and, you know, and all that stuff. I thought they would kind of be like a match made in heaven where they'd sail off one day into the sunset and say, hey, man, we did something great here. And I actually watched an interview the day after the video was released by uh, Old Beckham Jr.'s dad about him missing him. And when I watched the video, I was like, some of these toes look a little personal. <laughs> I was like, some of them actually look a little suspect. But then again, we don't know what Baker's seen through his eyes because one of them, he Baker was running out, kind of scanned the field, but then someone was rushing at him, right? So it's like... he. It, tough to kind of concentrate on something when you got one of these monsters running up you trying to pull your head off, right? But so, but then I watched the interview and Baker seemed like his ego was hurt a little bit. And that's not good. When he, you know, he's, well, you know, yeah, it's, you know, disappointment's kind of an understatement. And it's like, you're, you're trying to win a Super Bowl, mate. You've got one of the most talented receivers that ever grace the game. I'm not saying one of the best to ever grace it. I love Odell, I know him personally, but he's probably, in my eyes, he's one of the greatest talents to ever grace a football field. I was kind of wondering at the beginning of the season, when is he going to start getting rolling? I know Jarvis Landry was out, so I was kind of thinking maybe they're putting a lot of attention on me. I think him getting released was the best move for all parties moving forward. I think now, Cleveland know what they don't have. There's no more questions of what we might have with Odell. It's like, we just don't have Odell, but we've been doing fine without him. Yeah. I think there's a lot of other things they've got to fine-tune on this team, but I think it's important for Odell to go somewhere where he can just completely concentrate on football. I think after his second, going third year in the league, things started getting messy for him, right? And I remember Odell, after his rookie year, we actually did an NFL UK event together. And meeting with him, he was such a humble kid and he couldn't... I think for him, the stardom of that one-handed catch caught him by surprise. And I used, I will talk to him about, you know, just kind of staying in the moment and concentrating on the football. And then obviously, all of a sudden, you know, he's with Drake and he's with all these celebrities. And to a lot of franchises, that's very intimidating. Yeah. Um, when a guy becomes bigger than the team, it's very, very intimidating. And they don't know how to really harness that and allow that person to thrive while also being still very, very team first. One of my old teammates, Marquette King, he was kind of, one. Of, I think he's one of the best players I've ever seen, but then again, started becoming bigger than his role. It was just his personality, right? That's who he is, Marquette. And who says a kicker can't have a commercial, can't have fun on the field? Who said he's just going to kick it? You know, I actually found it funny Hilarious when he did the whole, uh, uh, the, the little dance with the uh, the flag and stuff. And we got a penalty or whatever, and that stuff hurts the team. But yeah. let him express himself, right? He's co- actually contributing us. So with Odell, it's like, I feel like he's never really had the chance to express himself fully. But then again, when he was in New York and he was giving the reins a little bit, it kind of got chaotic when he was having those sideline outbursts
0: do you think because i mean he's only 29 and he's he's missed a lot of football so the, the i mean the, the, the knee is what it is but the body's probably younger than the age would suggest in nfl terms we saw antonio brown last year be completely ostracized by the league and then he goes to tampa and he makes a big difference he scores touchdowns and he's now a key part of what they do on offense do you think if he finds the right circumstances there could be a similar renaissance for Odell Beckham Jr. that we saw or have seen for Antonio Brown.
1: What we need people need to understand about Antonio Brown is Antonio Brown comes from extraneous circumstances. The way he grew up, went to a small school, really wasn't supposed to make it in the NFL and turned out to be one of the best. And when he hit his peak, I personally feel like he didn't handle it well. I think... When you get to that level and it's not just the football anymore, right? It's the endorsements, it's the people, right? It's a bunch of things coming your way. Some people handle it well, some people don't. I don't think he handled it well. And he had a meltdown. I think it was an ego. But one thing Antonio Brown did do was check his ego. And when he went to New England, New England will do that, right? It's like, you can't walk into England like like your shit don't stink. You're just part of the team now, right? And then I think him, I think Tom Brady really getting with him. And here's the guy, right? The GOAT who's putting his arm around you. He's like, yo, no, 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 you're moving in. I know you've just been on the news, right? Constantly, constantly, you're moving in with me. So for a guy who was the best receiver in the league, making millions of dollars, got four or five kids of his own, is now living with another grown man as a, almost like a little brother, right? That is an ego check. That is, hey man, I love this game and I want to keep this game the main thing. And, it allowed Antonio Brown to say, do you know what? I know a lot of stuff's going on, but this game, I love it. Running routes all day, this is my thing. Scoring touchdowns is my thing. And he's been able to thrive in that again, and he's found his love and passion. The the biggest thing for Odell, and a lot of people talk about accountability. I don't think he respected Eli as much. You know, here's Odell coming to a guy who's won two Super Bowls, right? And you would think he would kind of take him on as like, let me take your advice. And let me kind of, let me be your understudy and learn the game from you, a 2 time Super Bowl champion. But Odell got to Eli at a stage where the offensive line was atrocious, almost disrespectful. And Eli was constantly under pressure and he, he was getting older, right? So Odell, I remember Odell had the comment, was talking about, oh yeah, we don't stretch the field anymore, talking about Eli. Now, and then, and that was also at the time when Odell is on the rise. So Odell's really seen himself Above Eli, even though he hasn't done anything in the league, he's like, you know what, I'm Odell Beckham, I'm what's happening right now, you're fading out. Then they have the quarterback carousel, then he leaves. Then he goes to Cleveland, and it's young Baker Mayfield, this this electric quarterback who just won a Heisman, and it's Odell Beckham. And they do, and they have this little love, and and, and and Odell's just happy to be somewhere fresh, right? He's back with his old college teammate to have his laundry. But now that honeymoon phase has worn off. And Odell is looking at Baker and questioning Baker, probably. And then questioning the the offensive coordinator. So he's got to go to somewhere where he respects the quarterback, the play callers, and all he needs to do is plug and play. And that is what Antonio Brown is doing so well down in Tampa. He respects Tom Brady, lived in his house. Respects Leftwich, respects Bruce Aaron, who's no-nonsense. And he's back playing the game in his home state. And he's just, it's almost like he's grateful, right? And I'm not saying Odell's not grateful, but he's got to go to a place where it's like, okay, it's just me and this football field right now. And I've actually been thinking about the Rams. For some reason, I got the Rams in my head. and I think he would enjoy playing in Los Angeles.
0: They have just released the Sean Jackson. So there might be a vacancy there as well. I wonder whether that's a coincidence or, or, or what. I mean, let's be honest the Rams must have the best salary cap expert in the history of the National Football League. They can sign superstar after superstar and never seem to crack the cap. My team <laughs> the Chicago Bears have got 50 journeymen and three players who can play. We're way over the cap. We need the guy from LA in there to to right. do the cap. And then we might win more than five, six, seven games, which we're not going to do this year. So don't start on the cap because I can't take that kind of conversation as a Bears fan. Um, Menelik, you've been absolutely sensational. I mean, the insight we've had today is is on another planet. I don't think there's anywhere in the United Kingdom who will have insight like we've had this week on a variety of, of subjects and topics, some easier to talk about than others for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and we thank you again. Great having you on board. Brilliant insight today. And we will speak to you very, very soon. Uh, this has been The Fumble. The big fella's going to be back next week. We will be a three, I can promise you. We will be a three. Vernon, Vernon, get yourself back here, my friend. You're on fines. You're getting fined, mate. Menelik's dishing out the fines. (laughs) Menelik's dishing out the fines. I'm Darren Fletcher. He's Menelik Watson. This has been The Fumble. It's a shooting Shark production. And we will speak to you to reflect on the National Football League again sometime next week.